There's an Instagram account that I follow. Instagram is literally the only social media that basically I engage, and it's not because I'm pretentious or snooty. It's just that it's kind of like Twitter for people who can't read, and so it's just quick. It's just kind of like I can be holding a kid and see cool pictures of places I've never been and cool pictures of your kids and, and zoom along. But there's this one account that I follow called Daily Overview, and uh, the reason why I bring it up is it's kind of what today is going to be. <laughs> Daily Overview is this account that takes, um, somehow they get their hands on satellite pictures zoomed in of like all sorts of places over the, around the earth. So sometimes it'll be like the Amazon River and, and you can see all this cool stuff. Other times it's like the parking lot at O'Hare and you just see all these, it's just amazing. It's a cool, it's a, they're, they're a good follow. Um, but Today, for the sake of what God is doing in the meeting, um, I, I think we've all sensed that God is, is moving powerfully. Um, as Chris alluded to, we want to have a, a time of ministry uh, coming out of the preaching of the word. So we're going to do kind of a daily overview, satellite, satellite approach to, to what we're preaching on today. Not because it's not important, not because it's, it's secondary, but because it's a part of what God is doing. It's a part of our worship to him to sit in uh, submission to the word, not to me, but to the word. And to, to hear what the Lord is doing and to respond. So, fun fact about me, I don't know if you know this, and it's not really a fun fact, it's just a fact, but I think it's fun. Um, I, I actually teach online. Uh, I'm an online professor <laughs> at, uh, at Moody Bible Institute. Um, and it's, yeah, whatever. But it's, <laughs> please. Sometimes when students email me for the first time, they call me Dr. Lusk, and I just don't tell them. <laughs> I'm, just like, I'm just like, that's cool, man. You just, and then they see a picture of me, and then they're like, you're not 65. And I'm like, what? but one of, the, one of the, the reason why I bring this up is one of the classes that I teach is called Foundations of Learning. It's a very entry-level class, hence they entrusted it to me. And what it is, is it's, it's a chance for college students they take it early in their, in their freshman year. It's a chance for college students to sort of uh, learn and engage and discover the ways that, that they learn or that they experience education or that, that kind of geared toward them getting the most uh, out of who they are and what they're going to be learning and kind of discovering the foundations uh, that they need to be keenly aware of and not forget as they go about their education. It's really, it's really a cool class. It's, it's fun to watch 18 and 19-year-olds discover themselves. Lord knows I missed myself at 18 and 19, so it's cool to see that happening in the lives of students. But the reason why I bring that up is because where we pick up the story, the account, the true account of Exodus in chapter 13, God, God has powerfully majestically, as, as Dave so wonderfully preached on last week, powerfully and majestically and emphatically freed his people from the bondage of slavery. And it's, it's been kind of a thing in Egypt. The Lord had to raise his mighty hand, as he said, and, and release his people from what is very actual and very true and very real bondage in slavery. And what has happened now is that not only has God freed the people, but they've, they've plundered the Egyptians on the way out. And, and, and they've given them, uh, the Egyptians have given them gold and silver and garments. And, and here we are in a matter of moments from slaves oppressed and in bondage, 
forced to work, forced to exist this way after 400 years. And now, moments later, after, after the Lord has finally moved in the way that he said that he would, they're free and they're walking out plunderers. It's kind of a weird situation. The Bible says that there were 600,000 men leaving, uh, Israelites leaving. So that's just counting the men. So conservatively estimating if some of those guys were married and some of them had, had kids, we're talking about millions of people. That's why it's called the Exodus. And I think what we're going to see in chapters 13 through 15 today, daily overview, we're going to see God taking the Israelites to a sort of foundations of learning type of place. Because God has been progressively reintroducing himself to his people. He, he's, he's been progressively reminding them of who he is. Dave spoke last week of, of God very clearly, very intimately revealing his name to them. Not just God Almighty, like the God Almighty, El Shaddai, which he is. He is also the Lord. He is also Yahweh. He's the Lord who is near you. He is the Lord who can describe himself as a shepherd, as a, as a, as a close father. And God has been progressively revealing himself, not just to Moses, but then to the people of Israel. He certainly revealed himself to Egypt. And now God has his people out of bondage, and it's the Lord and his people. And we're going to see the Lord take, his, take the people of Israel on a sort of foundations of learning course, where I think the Lord sets in some important things to remind his people of what it means, what's foundational in terms of knowing him, interacting with him, and following him. And what I think is so amazing about it is, as the church today, the people of God today, in the Old Testament here, the, the people of God is, is, a, is a national identity. And in the, New, in, in the New Testament, the New Covenant, the people of God uh, is reckoned as the church. Because we've been grafted in to God's promise so as the people of God today, I think it's important for us to look at these foundations together and to say, what, what, is, what is God teaching his people? All, many of them discovering for the first time about what's foundational to know him. That cool? If we kind of take a daily overview of that? Did you guys all run the marathon? You there? We good? Cool. Let's pick up, let's pick up the account of, the, of, the, of, of Exodus in chapter 13. Let's pick it up in, in verse 5. This is Moses speaking to the people. As, I, I can't imagine like they're on their way. Like I don't know how he's, he's talking to everyone, but they're just kind of on the move. And, and Moses says in verse 5, When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Verse 7, eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. What? <laughs> you ever get that feeling when you're reading the Old Testament sometimes, and you just, uh, come on, we can all admit it, where you're just like, honestly, what is God laying in here? Well, the 10th plague, when, the angel, when God sent the angel of the Lord and, and struck down the firstborn of all of Egypt, and Moses, as he instructed the people of Israel to, 
to sacrifice a lamb and to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost, so beautifully illustrating uh, and foreshadowing the sacrifice of Jesus. God instructed his people to be ready and in haste, to be ready and in haste. So we don't have time to put yeast in the bread. We don't have time to, uh, to cook as you would normally cook. We must ready ourselves because the work of God is coming. And so God here is laying in, laying in, uh, he's laying in instructions to his people to commemorate this. Actually, uh, back up in verse 3, Moses says, commemorate this day. Commemorate this day. And then goes into God's instructions. And I'm kind of wondering why, I mean, we're footsteps out of Egypt right now. And this is the first thing God is saying. Why would God be saying this? God is laying in something foundational with his people. And I want to say that what the first foundation that God is laying in with with his own people as he's now freed them is a foundation of obedience. It's a foundation of obedience. Now, here's the thing about obedience. How many of you have kids? And you you just, or how many of you ever been kids? There we go. That was was the better choice. (laughs) Obedience is a funny thing. Because obedience can come generally from one of two places. It can come from compulsion, or it can come from love. Obedience is an act of adoration and love. And so when God is is setting this in, asking his people to commemorate and obey and institute these things, we have to ask the question, is God... Is, is this almighty, powerful, majestic God being petulant and just putting in some instructions to see if his people will follow them? Or is God hearkening back to something that his people can react to him in, in love, expressed in obedience? And I think it's the second, and here's why. Because all that the Lord says before he instructs them to commemorate what he's done, he reminds them about his faithfulness of what he has already done and what he is going to do. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, a land that he swore to your ancestors, flowing with milk and honey. God's reminding his people of who he is and asking the result to be obedience. And in that way, obedience is an act of love. It's why Jesus in John 14 says to his disciples, if you love me, obey my commands. In the character of God, obedience and love are inseparably linked an expression of love is always obedience you guys okay but i think there's a second there's a second foundation second part to this foundation of obedience that god is laying in with his people let's continue reading in verse 8 on that day the day you're commemorating all of this on that day tell your son i do this because of what the lord did for me when i came out of egypt this observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. Here's another result of obedience. It's not just rooted in love. One of the results of obedience is testimony. One of the results of obedience is testimony. Why? Because obedience is noticed. (laughs) On that day, tell your son... I do this because of what the Lord has done for me. So obedience rooted in love begets testimony, which begets belief and more obedience, which springs new love. 
in that child, in that son, in that daughter, in that family. So that now we see that when God is laying in a foundation of obedience with his people, he's not laying in something to be oppressive or to just be obeyed. Although as almighty God, absolutely that's his prerogative. But we see God's request, God's command for obedience is not rooted in oppression. It's rooted in love. And isn't that a change for a people who's been enslaved for four centuries? Isn't that a change of pace? Commemorate and obey. Beget testimony. A new generation knows my ways. They commemorate as well and beget testimony and commemorate and love and commemorate. Why? Because from the moment God has expressed himself to creation, he's wanted his name and his love and his glory to fill the whole earth. And obedience begetting testimony does that. It's foundational for what God is laying in. Footsteps out of Egypt. Okay, so let's get uh, a little bit more practically into where the Israelites are. Let's pick up uh, chapter 13 in verse 17. You guys okay to read along? When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them out on the road through the Philistine country. That is the shortest way, though the way was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. That would have been battle by battle by battle to go through the Philistine country. Verse 18, so God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. Remember what Dave spoke about, suspense, last week? As soon as you see that Red Sea, you know what's coming. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Let's skip down to verse 20. After leaving Succoth, where they had camped, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. So they're on the edge of the desert. Verse 21, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. This is, this is way more than a burning bush here. <laughs> this is the actual, physical, manifest presence of God. And again, we are just, we're, we're miles outside of Egypt. And God's laid a foundation of obedience and testimony. And what is God laying in here? By being with them ever so closely. I don't think it's more complicated than it is. God's laying a foundation with his people of intimacy that is closeness with him. God is showing, God is, God is showing that on his end, the God end, his desire, his prerogative, his his intention is closeness with his people. So much so that he'll manifest his, his presence and his glory right in front of them day and night. And they need only follow, have attention, and listen, and respond in what? Obedience. Another moment. Dad, why do we follow the pillar of fire? <laughs> well, daughter or son, this is why. Testimony, love, obedience, foundational. It continues. You know, uh, while that's great to preach about, and it's certainly fun, and it could be like three or four sermons in and of itself about the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, how many of you woke up and followed a pillar of fire or cloud to church today? How many of you besides Rachel got up and followed? (laughs) 
So it begs the question, if, if we are the people of God and God has laid in a foundation of intimacy with him, has God clearly revealed himself to us in this day, 2016? This, us, the church, this side of old and new covenant. And I want to say yes. There's three, there's three very specific ways that God has revealed himself to us. First is right here, the word of God. The word of God. This revelation God has revealed himself to us. It's not, it's not a pillar of fire, but it's not second rate to a pillar of fire. This is eternal, according to God himself. This is eternal. God has revealed himself to us. Whenever we doubt, whenever we wonder uh, about the character of God, whenever, we, uh, whenever we're discovering uh, who God is, responding to him, wondering what God's commands or thoughts or heart is, it's not a secret. It's not a secret. Secondly, God has revealed himself to us in the word become flesh. That is the person of Jesus Christ. Who in John 1 we see is fully God, fully man, fully clothed in human flesh to come and literally tabernacle is the word. Tabernacled amongst us. Literally made his dwelling amongst us fully human. The word become flesh. And what did Jesus expressly expressly come to do to reveal the father to reveal the father and jesus said no man comes to the father except through me i'm the way the truth and the life so god has expressly revealed himself to us intimacy with him declaring his desire for closeness by the revelation of his son and i think there's a third thing given of jesus himself and that is the promised holy spirit given to us daily Right now. Right now. Ephesians, Ephesians speaks of that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And later Paul in that same book also says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Huh? Because we are given the Holy Spirit as a seal of our salvation. And we also see all throughout Acts and the promises of Jesus and, the, and what Paul writes is that there is also a manifestation and indwelling an outpouring, a baptism, a being uh, inundated with the presence of God. So it's not a pillar of fire and it's not a pillar of cloud, but it's the same foundation. A foundation that God is giving to his people of intimacy and closeness with him and that how important that will be. And I love that, the, uh, that, the, that it says, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. There was never any doubt. And you and I, as the people of God on this side of time and space, for us, don't ever have to doubt about God having left us or moved or going to the left or right because he's revealed his desire for intimacy with us. Okay, you know me. I like to read scripture, so we're going to read for a little bit as we pick it up in, in Exodus 14. I just would rather scripture do the heavy lifting, if that's all right with you guys. So a foundation of obedience and testimony, a foundation of intimacy that is closeness with God, and, and all these, all these uh, again, not rooted in, hey, now that I've freed you, just, you know, this is what I want in, in return. This is rooted in, can't you see I'm pursuing you? Can't you see I'm faithful? Let's pick it up in Exodus uh, 14, chapter 1. Now, we're going to go through some names here, so don't, don't, don't get lost in the names. Let's just hear what the Lord is saying. Uh, Exodus 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back. Really? Turn back and encamp 
near Pi-Hahirath, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh, listen to this, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. What have we done, he said. We have let the Israelites go, and we've lost their services. Verse 6, so he had his chariot made ready, and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, and I love this, along with all the other chariots of Egypt. (laughs) Bring me my 600 best chariots, and every other one of them too. (laughs) With officers over all of them. Let's go down to verse 10. As Pharaoh approached The Israelites looked up. Now remember, God has instructed Israel to camp in a circle and pin themselves in by the sea. God has instructed this. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, stop me when you've heard this attitude before in Exodus. Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses has got to be thinking, I've been here before. Come on. (laughs) When Moses first goes back, goes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, not only am I not letting you go, I'm increasing the workload. You you, You don't get to find straw anymore. And the Israelites come to Moses and go, what are you doing? And God tells Moses continually to go back to Pharaoh. And Moses gets shut down. Yes, God moves. But Moses has got to be tired of people just saying, no, what are you doing? Don't like what you decided. Now we're going to die. And guess whose fault it is? Yours. And what Moses has done up to this point in Exodus is Moses has then turned around and gone to the Lord and said, what are you doing, God? You haven't delivered your people. I'm in front of these people and they're saying that I'm no, 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 no. Let's see if that Moses talks right now. Or let's see if another Moses talks. Verse 13. Moses answered the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Something's gotten a hold of Moses. Moses is a changed man. And Moses will struggle, and his struggles will be well documented throughout the rest of (laughs) Exodus. But Moses is a changed man here. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Well, God, you encamped us in a circle and we can't really go anywhere. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Sorry, God, it sounded like you said go through the Red Sea. I'm just, can you repeat that? 
I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. Listen to this. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen, all the 600 best and all the others. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then what does God do? The angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved also from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. And listen, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night... The Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. What a picture. A wall of water on their right and on their left. Verse 23, the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, common sense, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. And why did we just read all of Exodus chapter 14, or almost all of it? What is God laying in with his people? What foundation? Hysteria? (laughs) Why did you have us camp here, God? (laughs) I want to submit to you that God is laying in a foundation of his glory. God is laying a foundation of his glory. We must remember this has been an enslaved people. This has been millions of people who have not seen God speak to them in a burning bush. This has been millions of people who have seen God rain down plagues and free them, but are getting a foundation of obedience and testimony and intimacy laid in, and now God is reminding his people that God is fully about one singular thing, his own glory. God says, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army and his chariots and his horsemen. I'll gain glory by you camping around where I tell you to, and getting pinned in by a non-strategic position. God's revealing that everything about what he does is intended to give himself glory. And that's not boasting or arrogant. That's what the one true, only existing God does, who has all glory. God's glory is revealed in God's plans. God's glory is revealed in God's plans, which is why God speaks to the people through Moses, and tells them to do something that you're kind of like, I'm not sure that that would be my plan, God. I don't want to camp in a circle. I don't want to give the impression that we're wandering out here because Pharaoh will then come after us. But God reveals his plan. And his ways, as Isaiah 55 says, are higher than our ways. And they're intended to give him glory. God, not only through God's plan does he reveal his glory and gain glory, God gains glory through man's choices. 
bring me all my 600 best chariots and all the others. God's going to gain the glory. God's going to gain the glory. Good thing we don't live in a culture right now where really powerful people or whatever tend to bloviate or whatever like, and make their choices really known. Right? God's going to gain his glory. God's going to gain his glory through man's choices, in spite of man's choices, because of man's choices. God is not so weak that he can't use and uh, that he can't employ the fallen choices of man for the purposes of heaven. God is not so weak that he can't employ the fallen choices of man for the chosen purposes of heaven. God will also gain glory by the enemy's schemes. By the enemy's schemes. The enemy schemes against us, prowls around like a roaring lion. And God is clear. I will gain my glory. Let's go in after him. The sea is split. Never mind the sea has been split by their God. (laughs) But let's go. That's awesome. Let's just run our fingers on that wall of water on the left and right. God will gain glory through the enemy's schemes. Which is different than saying God ordains or wants the enemy's schemes. It just says they're just but schemes. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and life abundantly. God is laying in a foundation of his glory. And I don't know about you, but when I understand that all that God is about, that, that every, every, every plan of his, every command, all of his character is geared toward glory for his name, that raises my faith and changes my paradigm about the way that I pray, the way that I interact, the way that I make decisions, the way that I uh, order my life to the best of my ability, my mindset shifts when I know that God is about his glory. All of the sudden, my perspective and context for anything going on, good, bad, ugly, or worse, is in a different place. Is it not? Because God's going to gain his glory. And I hope that stirs your faith. God in this one act shows that he's both deliverer and conqueror. And when our paradigm is God's glory, and when we've laid in a foundation of testimony and obedience and we're intimate with him, of course he's going to part the Red Sea. (laughs) Of course that's what God's going to do here. Of course, what, what can we not say yes to God for? Uproot your family, go plant a church. Uh, go, go, go start this, go, go say yes to this, sacrifice that. Uh, what, what decision, what command, what, what way of showing God's glory can we not say yes to when our paradigm is that that's what he's about and that that's, where, that's what our lives, our intimacy, our obedience, our testimony functions in with him. And I preach that as much, if not more, probably more to my own heart than anybody else in here. A foundation of God's glory. Last one. And then we're going to be done. I'm going to hand it over to Chris. And we're going to have a time of, of, of ministry. Verse 14 ends. Uh, this isn't on the screen, I don't think. But it, it ends with, And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. Good. And put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. 
And then look at how verse 15 starts. Or, uh, sorry, chapter 15. Then Moses and the Israelites, millions, sang this song to the Lord. And before I read it, I just want to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this one away first. God is, God is laying in a foundation of worship with his people. They're about to respond in worship. I mean, honestly, what, uh, what, what other response could we give? God just said, I will gain glory. The God who says, commemorate this day. Teach your sons and your daughters why you're doing what you do. As a foundation of obedience and testimony. I am right here with you. A pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. And to us, I'm right here with you. My word, I sent my son, my Holy Spirit. And I will gain my glory. What can our response be but to worship? And I'm going to be very honest with you. Exodus 15 is probably one of, I know you're not supposed to have favorites chapters of the Bible, and elders in churches probably especially are not supposed to have favorites, but this is a favorite, favorite chapter for me because of why they're worshiping, because of why they're worshiping. So I want to just read this chapter. It's actually not up on the screen behind me. Um, and I, In light of what God has laid in, then I trust that he's, he's laying in with us right now, these, these foundations or reminding us of. I just want to read this chapter. And then I wanna, uh, I'll just hand it right back to Chris, and we're going to just, as I mentioned, continue to let the Lord work in a, in a more intentional ministry way in just a moment. Can I just read this to you guys? Maybe close your eyes. Maybe take a, a posture of receiving. Um, and let's just listen as God lays in a foundation of worship. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who oppressed you. You unleashed your burning anger and consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them, but you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, Awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. 
By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. It's a foundation of worship.